0: Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through abcfws.com.
1: Welcome to the Florida Roundup, and thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville.
2: And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Well, this week, a second group of Texas migrants was left scrambling to find resources after allegedly being offered transportation by the Florida government. Asylum seekers at the border who were told they would be flown to Delaware were instead held for days in a San Antonio motel. And then they were told their flight was cancelled, the Miami Herald reported on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, that's right, Matthew. Now, this followed on last week's potentially illegal stunt that left 50 migrants stranded in Martha's Vineyard. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis took credit for that flight, even though the migrants actually crossed the border into another state. Since last week, DeSantis has labored to explain the legal footing that allows him to move migrants coming into Texas around the country. He has repeatedly suggested the action was valid, because Florida, he says, is the final destination of many migrants. This week, the Martha's Vineyard migrants filed a federal lawsuit against the governor.
2: And at the same time, the House of Representatives Homeland Security Committee is asking both the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security to open investigations into the flights. Also new this week, DeSantis appointee is reported to be tied to the company that arranged the private migrant transport. You can give us a call with your thoughts here on the Florida Roundup. We're at 305-995-1800 or tweet the show at Florida Roundup.
1: Your calls and tweets in a bit. But first, let's welcome Nick Nayamas, investigative reporter at the Miami Herald. Hi, Nick.
3: Hi, glad to be here. Thank you.
1: Also on the show, Danny Rivero, reporter host of the South Florida Roundup at WLRN. Hey, Danny. Hey, Melissa. Good to have you both, gentlemen. Nick, let's start with you. As you've been reporting in the Miami Herald, the DeSantis administration says it was trying to punk reporters who were expecting a second plane load of migrants to fly to Delaware, the president's home state. What exactly happened here? And- what happened with the people expecting to get on the plane
3: yeah well this was this was quite a day of of reporting on tuesday i mean amateur flight sleuth online basically discovered that there was another flight hired by the same company that had transported the mar- uh, migrants to Martha's Vineyard that was scheduled to head from san antonio to delaware to an airport near President Joe Biden's summer home. So people rushed to the airport, the state of Delaware activated, you know, Department of Health and Human Services, community groups, the media was everywhere. And meanwhile, the DeSantis administration would not confirm or deny that this flight was happening. President Biden even responded, the White House press secretary responded. What we later learned was that this flight was very much being organized to the point that operatives uh, working for the governor, who'd been involved in the Massachusetts flights, had um, put up around 20 Venezuelan migrants at a hotel in San Diego and told them they'd be going to, uh, sorry, San Antonio, and told them they'd be going to Delaware the next day. Now that flight was canceled in the morning without warning. And NBC News reported the governor took advantage of all this media and political activity to, in the words of an anonymous source, punk the media and political opponents. Meanwhile, the migrants were left stranded once again in San Antonio.
1: And, and at, at Florida taxpayer expense, too. So, yes, it's resulting in a lot of publicity, we're certainly talking about it today, it's also resulted in a lot of legal action. Uh, There's a few lawsuits and complaints to talk about, but let's begin with the one that the migrants who were flown to Martha's Vineyard filed. They have filed in federal court saying they were tricked into getting on the plane with false promises of jobs and assistance. What is the lawsuit alleging exactly?
3: Right. So the lawsuit is alleging civil rights violations, you know, in essence, that these people were were deprived of liberty and and due process because they were told they were being flown to a place that could provide jobs and aid to the point that they were given a brochure that that sure seemed like it had been produced by a Massachusetts office that provides services to refugees. It had not moreover these asylum seekers would not have been eligible for those benefits for several years at the earliest um and so yeah the migrants are saying that that they were duped to get onto these flights and that it was a, a political stunt that that violated their civil rights
1: now that's not the only legal action brewing against the governor in texas A sheriff there says he's going to launch a criminal investigation on Thursday. Florida State Senator Jason Pizzo, Pizzo, a Democrat, filed a lawsuit asking a judge to block the governor from spending any more state money on further flights. Uh, There are calls in Congress for federal agencies to investigate. All of that in sum, uh, what does this mean for the governor? Uh, Is this a, a net positive or a net negative for him, given the intense blowback he is receiving it's
3: hard to say i mean at a press conference yesterday desantis refused to answer questions about the delaware flight but he did make the point that you made earlier that the nation is talking about immigration and border policy and the biden administration's attempts to handle it they're also talking about him governor desantis um, which is worth noting as he is running for re-election and likely a presidential candidate. Uh, I think it's it's an open question about whether these flights will keep happening. Um, certainly from a political sense, the governor got the benefit of a lot of attention on this issue and on himself from these two flights to Martha's Vineyard and the canceled one to Delaware. Now that criminal and civil lawsuits and investigations have been initiated, I, I think, you know, observers are saying that we might see the governor pull back from this and kind of say mission accomplished for now.
1: Mm. Now let's talk about the migrants who thought they were going to be flown to Delaware. What are they saying about their experience?
3: One of them, one of them told my colleague, Sarah Blasky, who's been on the ground in San Antonio, just doing this heartbreaking reporting. he, He said, I'm eating water, meaning that, you know, he has, no money, no resources, doesn't know where to go and, and thought he'd been offered this lifeline to uh, get closer to his final destination, a free flight to Delaware. I mean, most of these asylum seekers can't afford a $50 bus ticket that takes them from, um, from the border to San Antonio. So a free flight, a free hotel, food, all of this seems like a godsend. These people desperately need help. And we're grateful for it. And now they've learned that that help was a mirage, and that they were used as as part of a political operation to draw attention to the issue of immigration. They they told us they don't care about the politics. They want help. They don't care who it comes from. If it's from a charity, if it's from the government, if it's from private citizens, they they are desperate to to try and get to where their family and friends are around the country.
1: There are still so many questions, reporters, like you are trying to answer. uh, How these flights were conducted, uh, how much taxpayer money we're talking about. Your colleagues at the Miami Herald have reported on the company that the governor used to fly migrants to Martha's Vineyard, Vertol Systems. What do we know about this company and its connections to the DeSantis administration?
3: So as my colleagues reported, Vertol Systems would not... Be the natural first choice for an operation transporting people around the country. They're a, a Oregon-based defense contractor, although a lot of their operations are in the Panhandle. They mainly do flight training and, and hel- uh, providing helicopters to various governments. And so this company had to hire a private charter service um, to fly these migrants around the country. What's really interesting is that their longtime lawyer Larry Keefe is now Governor DeSantis's public safety czar, which includes immigration as part of his portfolio. So there's a lot of speculation that, that Keefe's ties to, these, to this company is what led the Florida Department of Transportation to hire the company for the migrant flight. Now, I'll just say quickly, a lot of our questions would be answered if the governor's administration and if the Florida Department of Transportation would release public records about the contract and the spending, which so far they have
2: not.
1: We are talking about migrant flights here on the Florida roundup three zero five nine nine five eighteen hundred. Let us know your thoughts beginning with Sylvia in Miami. Hi, Sylvia.
4: Hi, thank you very much for taking my call. I would like yeah, to go ahead. You're able, on the air. Uh, yes. I hope he is held accountable. This is the, uh, a play from Trump's playbook Trump wasn't held accountable uh or at least there was an attempt but never was until he left office this country and the state of Florida cannot take six years of DeSantis as a governor or uh four years as a president and I hope that they find out who Perla is if they can uh order Perla Then maybe she can give some
1: answers that's the thank you for that. Uh, that's the woman that apparently lured the migrants, Nick, and we don't know the identity of that person yet
3: we don't we don't know who Perla is quite yet, but all the migrants or many of the migrants, excuse me, have have identified a tall, blonde woman speaking broken Spanish. She has ties to both the Martha's Vineyard flight and the the Delaware group, and so I'm sure that criminal investigators in Texas, uh, with the sheriff's office there, who I should say is an elected official, a Democrat, are trying to track her down as well as reporters across the country.
2: You're listening to the Florida Roundup. You can call in with your thoughts 305 995 181800. That is, you can send us a tweet as well at Florida Roundup talking about the latest round this unfolding story about immigration and Governor DeSantis flying migrants or attempting to fly more migrants out of Texas into other states. Uh, Let's go to Dave in Gulfport. Dave, what's on your mind?
4: Hello. Um,
0: From what I understand, uh, the the money used for this um, relocating immigrants is from the COVID relief money. I don't know that it's, well, I mean, our legislators will do anything that DeSantis tells them to do by appropriating it, but I don't know how we could spend it on a private debt company and in Texas when it should be, with, you know, money for Floridian. Mm. But if DeSantis is going to keep pulling stunts to, you know, get publicity for his reelection, I think he should be using it out of his campaign funds. He's got plenty of it and return that money back
2: to our state. Thanks for your call. And yeah, to that point, I mean, there are some questions being raised about how this money has been spent, the legality of it, uh, some pushback from Democratic lawmakers, at least, uh, Nick?
3: That's correct. Uh, last night, um, State Senator Jason Pizzo, who's a, a Miami Democrat, filed a lawsuit raising several of the, the questions the caller just pointed out, um, most specifically you know, this was part of the budget, $109 billion budget. Uh, Legislators authorized a $12 million program to facilitate, I quote, the transport of unauthorized aliens from this state. And so that's the issue that that Florida Democrats are are raising. These migrants were in Texas. They were Mm -hmm. not in Florida. And Florida taxpayer money is being used to transport them to, to other states. Now, one thing that's That's worth pointing out is that on their way from San Antonio to Martha's Vineyard, the flights both made brief pit stops at an airport in the panhandle. Now, DeSantis Mm -hmm. and his administration has not pointed to that and said, look, they were they were in Florida. But certainly the question has been asked if, if that was just maybe a way to, you know, have a loophole around the language and the budget.
2: I want to bring in Danny Rivero into this conversation. Danny, reporter and host at WLRN and the host of Detention by Design. It's a podcast about the origins of the immigration detention system we have here in the United States. Danny, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So this is interesting, kind of the the latest chapter in a very long saga of immigration, immigration detention, just how the United States treats visitors to these shores, whether documented or not what's the response been in south florida to to this latest iteration of that and that the governor's move to fly people you know across state lines well you, the the response to speak frankly
5: it's heavily partisanized heavily politicized you know if if um someone came into the events of the last week or so as a fan of the governor um they're likely to be for it and and cheering it and if they're against him they're likely to be very critical of, of where the money came from, the method in which it was done, kind of the moral and the, I guess I would say the, the legal arguments um, being critical of it. Um, I, I will note that, that that I was talking with a source yesterday um, about a poll that, that is yet to be released, um, but which basically finds that I'm told that this move was has proved to be very well received by independent, non-committed voters. And Mm -hmm. what what I'm told is that poll was taken by groups close to the Republican Party of Florida. Take that as you will. But basically what we can extrapolate from that is that the the Republican Party of Florida and the administration is looking at this as a as a winning gamble, Um, that it's not going to put too many people off, it's not going to anger the wrong people for him, it's actually going to, you know, um, fire up his base, if you will.
2: Mm-hmm. Let's get another call in, uh, Ross, uh, I believe is calling from Pompano. Ross, uh, go ahead. Yes. yes,
3: good afternoon. Good to hear this being talked about.
2: <clears throat> mm-hmm.
3: I'm going to be a bit of an iconoclast on NPR here. I'm a WRN listener. Uh, but I'm going to say, look, if you're a true refugee, there are legitimate pathways to citizenship. And if the first thing you do upon entering the country is commit a felony by coming in, crossing a border illegally, that tells me right away that uh, that your intentions may not be of the best. And that by bypassing these legitimate pathways and coming across the border illegally, you know what, a flight on uh, a flight to Martha's Vineyard is a lot better than a flight on Conair to prison.
2: Um, but but isn't the it, point that the, it, these it, these people came in legally they they were they were seeking asylum and there, there is you know that that puts them within the realm of legal yes, asylum, asylum
3: seekers they're seeking asylum but they should be crossing did they cross at a proper point or did they just wade across the real ground
5: if, if if I can actually um, jump in here i mean this is there, this is a big kind of rhetorical question that that is um, Constantly brought up is that, you know, these are quote unquote unauthorized people that are here quote unquote illegally and in (laughs) this case that is very much not the case. These were these are people participating in the middle of a legal process. Um, The administration whoever's administration it is, has the authority to allow people entry into the country to seek asylum to go through the, the process. It is an entirely legal process. Um, and that's part of um, what the the legal scrutiny you know could look at is you know the the authorization for these funds is for quote unquote unauthorized immigrants. Well these folks, these Venezuelans that we are talking about that were sent to Martha's Vineyard, they were not here illegally. They checked in with the government, they received court hearing dates. they're in the process um, they don't have full, immigration status as of yet. That's that's part of what will come um, possibly down the line once they go through the court dates and whatnot. But once they, they, they go are, through they are the are process. A yeah, they are and as, a lot, a of lots of yeah.
1: tweets. Meanwhile, here's just one. Uh, please remember these migrants are human beings. It's an awful thing to do to people with so little hope. I want to thank you, Nick Naamas, investigative reporter with the Miami Herald for being with us here on the Florida Roundup. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll continue the calls, tweets, and discussion right after this. What do you think? Get on the line, 305-995-1800 on the Florida Roundup next.
0: Hurricanes, lightning, flooding, and tornadoes affect the entire state of Florida. And the team of meteorologists from the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network keep you informed around the clock. All year long, we're committed to providing in-depth weather coverage, both over the radio and on the mobile app, Florida Storms. The Florida Public Radio Emergency Network is supported by this station and Citizens Property Insurance, online at CitizensFLA.com. Taxes, the environment, energy, education, health care, a state that's gaining nearly a 1,000 new residents every day and the ongoing quest for resources to meet that growing need. These are critical issues that affect everyone in Florida, and they're just some of the issues we follow every week on Capital Report. It's your direct connection to what's going on in Tallahassee and what it means to you.
6: Tonight at 6.30 on WGCT News 89.9.
3: Marsha Jo Zarevitz is author of the book, Jews of Florida, Centuries of Stories, and founding director of the Jewish Museum of Florida. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on
0: Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, we'll talk with
3: Marsha Joe Zarevitz. We'll discuss Miami jewel thief Harry Siddemore and the new book by Stephen Knoll. That's Florida Frontiers, Monday evening at 6.30 on WJCT News 89.9.
0: Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, Florida family-owned and operated since 1936, and a proud supporter of public radio. ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, always be celebrating.
1: Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. Thanks for being with us. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville
2: and i'm matthew petty in tampa as we continue the conversation with danny rivero of wlrn let's also welcome eduardo gamara director of the latino public opinion forum at florida international university eduardo thanks for being here eduardo are you you with us
1: well you know as we try to unmute eduardo let's go back to danny rivero uh, as we talk about the migrant flights Uh, that the governor has been engineering from Florida, even though migrants are coming in to the border in Texas, 305-995-1800. As we circle back to Eduardo Gamara, Eduardo, how is Florida's Venezuelan community uh, and the diaspora here in Florida? How are they reacting to this story?
7: I think they've they've been reacting in, in very predictable ways. Um, they're, the the vast majority um, have uh, responded uh, with with great uh, concern uh with great concern because uh, uh in large measure they they believe that uh, they are now uh, uh really the the target of a, of, a, of a party that uh, they had been shifting towards the republican party and uh uh in uh, in recent days both in in our in our sort of flash polling and uh, and some interviews we've conducted, uh, and the reaction primarily of, of Venezuelan, uh, let's call them civil society organizations, the reaction has been uh, um, mainly negative. Now, there is a component of the Venezuelan community. Uh, um, I would say the, the, the lesser part of the community, um, primarily groups of, of individuals who arrived um, I would say in the course of the last early in the part of and, and during this this, this migration, uh, who are uh, committed Republicans and who have reacted not as Venezuelans but as Republicans, and so therefore have taken positions that really mimic uh, the talking points uh, both of Governor DeSantis and uh, and and the party in general.
1: Certainly, the Hispanic vote in Florida isn't monolithic. Uh, what's your sense of how this is playing amongst all of Florida's different Hispanic communities?
7: Well, uh, that's a very good question because uh, we, we think that uh, there has been a a growing uh, shift by the Latino communities in South Florida toward the Republican party. That's, that's been a sort of an unmistakable trend and particularly since around 2018 consolidated in 2020 uh, and certainly, over the last two years, we've seen this the, this shift primarily among Cubans, also uh, uh, quite extraordinary among Colombians. And uh, what we found, at least uh, uh, in in our in our work, is that the the, the shift among Venezuelans is not as uh, uh, as pro-Republican as one one uh, one would have expected. Um, TPS uh, granted by the by the by this administration appears to have uh, sort of uh, uh, made uh, Venezuelans a little bit kinder in their evaluation of President Biden, for example. Uh, that said though, uh, I, would, I would say that uh, most of the Hispanic community here uh, really decides on how to vote or who they're going to support on the basis of two, two uh, questions. One, what Washington's policy is toward their country of origin, and number two, What is going on back home? Uh, Those two factors seem to determine how these communities see uh, politics at any given time.
1: Frank calling into the Florida Roundup from Crawfordville. Hi, Frank, go ahead.
4: I was just thinking about how nice it would have been if we got a tax break on our gas like George is doing instead of spending our tax money on airplane rides. It's it's kind of (laughs) of aggravating when, we're going to get a tax break, but just before Election Day.
1: So, um, Oh, you're talking about uh, the gas tax coming down, hopefully next month in Florida. So, right. uh, yeah, I, I appreciate your thoughts on that one, Frank. 3059951800. Oh, you wanted to say something else. Go ahead.
4: Oh, no, I was just hate wasting my tax dollars on airplane rides for people. versus political oh. stunts. Who you want good politics, give us a tax break on gas.
1: Thank you, Frank. Thanks for your thoughts.
2: You can call in 305-995-1800. Let's go back to Danny Rivero, uh, host of the podcast Detention by Design at WLRN about the origins of the immigration detention system in the United States. Danny, uh, in your podcast, you talk about the origins of that system of migrant detention in the U.S. and highlight as the starting point a boat that landed in Pompano Beach in December 1972 with 65 Haitians on board. And you said that then the U.S. was caught flat footed. I'm wondering, though, just what we're seeing now with the response in Martha's Vineyard and just the general response across the political spectrum. Are you seeing some echoes with or some parallels, at least, with the response to migrants arriving in the U.S. today?
5: You know, in in some ways there is parallels and in some ways it's a very distinct, um, you know, kind of circumstance, Um, you know, that that incident. 50 years ago, the first Haitian boat arrived in Florida, and that really marked the moment when the first uninvited asylum seekers started to make their way to the U.S., and the the federal government was totally unprepared for it. But now the feds have 50 years of experience. It's a well-oiled machine, although it's still a hugely controversial machine, and it changes really depending administration by administration how they administer it. Um, but if we look at what's going on now, in some ways, it harkens back to the 1980s. We have a record number of, of Cubans coming across the border, um, much like how what was happening in 1980 with the Mariel Boatlift, which really is uh, played a central role in the development of the immigration policies that we have. Um, mm-hmm. We have Haitians once again fleeing in, in massive numbers, Venezuelans, um, migrants leaving Central America have slightly gone down, but it's really ramped up in some of these, these other more authoritarian countries right
2: now. Right.
1: Elizabeth in DeLand. Hi, Elizabeth. Go ahead, Elizabeth. You're on the air.
4: Yes. I just wanted to point out that uh, this idea
6: of DeSantis and Abbott is definitely not original There is a historical reference to this. Um, If you look back in history, uh, this
4: is straight out of the playbook of the segregationists and the white supremacists during the uh, Civil Rights Movement. So in 1959, the White Citizens Council proposed a plan to ship black people from the South to the North where there was supposedly a deficit. It's the same idea. It's This idea of dumping others into areas where there is a deficit. So this comes straight out of the playbook of white supremacists and segregationists.
1: Elizabeth, thanks. Um, Let's go back to Eduardo Gomara. You know, the governor the other day, Eduardo, said blue states should be sharing the burden of immigration. That's how he justified sending that first plane, two plane loads of migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Of course, uh, the people on that island tried very hard to help the migrants, uh, gave them food and shelter and such. But, you know, the data does show that uh, blue states do share the burden of immigration, because when people come through a border state like Texas, they typically don't stay there. Isn't that right?
7: Yes, uh, that's correct. Uh, and, and that has been so historically um, I had the privilege, and I say the privilege, of working in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas in 1980 during the Mario Boat lift. I interviewed personally, interviewed 4,065 Mario entrants. And uh, and the burden there was, you know, remember it, it even cost Bill Clinton the election for, for, for his re-election for governor. It had enormous political consequences in Arkansas. And in large measure for the same argument that Arkansas was bearing the brunt of of marielitos, you know, in an, in an unfair fashion. First, it was primarily federal money that was doing the resettling, and then if you look at how many how many uh, of the marielitos actually stayed in in Arkansas, uh, very 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 few. And then the second thing that's important about the marielitos, which is so similar to the way in which by the way, recently in social media and in some of the and some of the of the talking points that Republicans have been repeating, that those Venezuelans who are coming uh, uh, theoretically have been released from Venezuelan prisons on purpose by President Maduro, the same kind of of description of uh, of uh, of Marielitos. They were the scum. They were they were all bad people, etc. And today, frankly. The, the sustenance, the basis of our economy in South Florida really comes from that Mario exodus in, in 1980. And I am assuming that most of the Venezuelans and Cubans that are coming today in 20 and 30 years and 40 years and certainly 50 years are going to have similar success stories.
2: Danny, I just want to come back to you for a moment. Um, you point out in your podcast, uh, you talk about the political forces that determine how one group of migrants to the United States might be received compared to another group. Uh, I'm wondering how you think the story of Florida's governor flying Venezuelan migrants to Martha's Vineyard fits into that broader narrative. Right. Yeah. I mean, we we, we have to remember that
5: these decisions when the, the federal government is allowing one group or another group into the country i mean these are always political decisions we saw that you know going we've seen that going back decades in this country and then you know we're seeing it now with ukrainians we've had over a hundred thousand ukrainians let into the country since the war in ukraine started in february Mm -hmm. no one is raising hell about that um and that's for political reasons it's politically popular um but the most interesting thing for me in this incident is that there seems to be a breakdown in the narrative, the Cold War narrative that has driven a lot of this um, in the past because the, you know, the U.S. has long been a safe haven for people fleeing from leftist regimes, especially Florida. Um, you know, Governor DeSantis is run, is campaigning on keeping Florida free, um, leaning on the experience of Cubans and Venezuelans who fled both those countries to find freedom in Florida. But now, some venezuelans are being excluded from that narrative and then you know ex- very explicitly these venezuelans are not welcome in florida they're being condemned as being here illegally and and to eduardo's point is a very strong echo of the narratives that were floating around during the mariel boat lift about you know these people are not like us like their early arrivals they're different mm-hmm. and in a different way it reminds me of the crisis in nicaragua in the mid in the mid 80s when the Nicaraguan refugees were being shunned and mistreated by the federal government, because a lot of them were poor, they were indigenous, they were not highly educated. But in that instance, the Cuban community in South Florida really rallied at the local government and community group level. And they stepped up in lockstep to help them set up new lives. And it was a really strong feeling of solidarity. And we're not really seeing that right now this is a very politically fractured country and community that they're mm-hmm. that they're entering into you're
2: yeah, listening to the
7: Florida.
2: To you, certainly just let me uh, let me just say you're listening to the florida roundup we are talking about immigration and the fallout from governor ron Sanders's move to fly migrants from the southern border to other states first to martha's vineyard and then an attempt to fly them elsewhere uh, this week as well. You can send us a tweet. We're at the Florida Roundup. We'll call 305-995-1800. Go ahead, uh, Eduardo.
7: Yes, I just wanted to add something that uh, uh, we we do a uh, we monitor uh, local radio uh, fairly carefully and uh, and the discussion this week has been very interesting uh, uh, in regard to this to this incident because it appears that uh, Republicans, and they're saying this uh, publicly, right? Uh, about three weeks ago, um, Vice Governor uh, Jeanette Nuñez came on radio here and said that the governor would be deporting Cubans to Delaware. That created such an incredible backlash against her and against the the governor, right? That how could you do this to Cubans? Well, now the the, the discussion is. And and they're saying it publicly that they decided to to uh, to uh, take on Venezuelans because in the end they're not a significant voting group. We can we estimate that there are about seventy two seventy five thousand Venezuelans who vote, significantly mm-hmm. smaller than Cubans, and therefore an expendable group in terms of politics.
1: Mm. Here's another tweet. I'm a former long term state employee, and I'm suspicious that multiple state purchasing rules have been broken or manipulated with what is pretty obviously a political campaign stunt. As we learned earlier in the hour from uh, Nick Namas at the Miami Herald, public records requests are underway to try to learn more about those kinds of rules. Michael in Tampa. Hi, Michael. Thanks for calling. Go ahead.
4: Hi there. My name's uh, Mike. I I, um, am actually an immigrant, as you probably can tell from my accent, uh, to the States. Um, And I I would imagine that um, if I was offered the ability to go to Martha's Vineyard, um, I would be more than happy to take it up. I think what Ron DeSantis' um, action has demonstrated is that these so-called sanctuary cities in the north of uh, the country are really sanctimonious cities. Because when it comes, they claim that they will uh, take care of immigrants and they're welcoming. And then basically, as soon as a few turn up uh, in one of the richest enclaves in the U.S., where the rich, the powerful and the beautiful, um, they immediately throw a hissy fit and have them all deported within 44 hours. So
1: I think, well, they weren't uh, deported. Actually, they were really given revealed. food really and shelter, revealed. and then taken somewhere where there were resources to better help them than a small basically, island community. Yeah, they
4: were basically told, "You're not welcome. Please go and leave, and go and live somewhere else." Um,
5: despite there being well, arrested. I think
1: that's it's a mischaracterization, honestly, there. Michael. But I, but you know, let no, me get Danny no. Rivera to respond to that. Go ahead, Danny.
5: Huh. Yeah, I mean the. When you, when you look at what the people on the ground in Martha's Vineyard were saying, it was not that these people were not necessarily not welcome. It's that they were, first of all, there was no coordination with anyone on the ground to notify that, they, that these people were coming. And then second of all, I mean, the bigger issue we haven't even talked about is these people had um, court hearings and asylum hearings that they needed to attend. And none of those resources were on Martha's Vineyard. You know, the, the the they were given appointments at different places and told they were being sent somewhere where they would be able to attend these things. And then they were sent Weren't somewhere. Weren't they also
1: told that they had addresses at homeless shelters around the country that were right. also fraudulent? That, that's that been reported by their attorney. Cor-
5: cor- correct. And, and so the issue is not just you know the, the you know the people on Martha's Vineyard didn't want these people It's that they were sent there without knowing where they were being sent and then upon being there learning that it would be impossible to make their court hearings um, I mean that is a very significant part of this narrative because they're in a legal process just to reiterate that they, they had these, these these migrants have done yes yeah, so that's right gonna,
1: I want to thank Danny Rivero and Eduardo Gamara for your insights we got a uh, take a quick break. More to come here on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio.
3: What's the solution to America's immigration issues? Many presidents have tried to come up with answers.
7: More agents and technology deployed to secure our southern border. The most technologically advanced border security. We will treat organizing a crime syndicate to smuggle aliens as a serious crime.
3: But migration policy experts say it's time to redefine
0: the terms of immigration altogether. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
6: Starting at 4 on WJCT News 89.9.
7: The publishing supply chain? Well, let's just say it's not so great, huh?
6: The worst case scenarios were happening. So you were seeing things like books that were specifically tied to holidays not make it into the stores in time. I'm Kai
7: Rizdal. the perils in publishing next time on Marketplace.
3: Tonight at 6, here on WJCT News 89.9.
2: on the next Fresh Air. What happens when animals become
4: criminals, at least in the eyes of humans? Somebody has to deal with bears who menace campsites, Indian elephants that trample crops and kill farmers, and birds that flock in flight paths near airports. We'll talk with science writer, Mary Roach, about her book, Fuzz,
2: When Nature Breaks the Law. Join us.
6: Today at one on WJCT News 89.9.
0: Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can visit 125 stores throughout Florida or shop online at abcfws.com.
1: Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. Thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville.
2: And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Well, a new report from free speech advocacy organization PEN America places Florida among the top states for banned books. According to the report Banned in the USA, the growing movement to censor books in schools, more books are being banned across more school districts in more states. In Florida, for example, 21 school districts have book bans involving 566 books, and the majority of banned books contain themes or characters involving the LGBTQ community and people of color.
1: Yeah, Penn says the move to challenge or remove books from schools has grown into a full-fledged social and political movement. At least 50 groups are behind the bu- the push rather, for book bans, and they share lists of books to ban and employ similar tactics, like swarming school board meetings. The harm from book bans is widespread, according to the report. It affects intellectual freedom, limits the professional autonomy of teachers and librarians, and has an impact on the well-being of students affected by the bans. Let us know your thoughts here on the Florida Roundup at 305-995-1800 or tweet the show at Florida Roundup.
2: Well, for more, we're joined by Summer Lopez. She's the Chief Program Officer of Free Expression at Penn America. Summer, thanks so much for being here.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Well, first of all, how does Penn define a book ban?
6: So we define a book ban as any change in a book's status and the access that that students have to it. And so, you know, this can be something that takes place um, permanently. It can be uh, something that occurs more um, temporarily. Um, but essentially, it is anything that occurs as a result of parent or community challenges, administrative decisions, or indirect. Uh, response to pressure from lawmakers or other officials. This is not something that's happening through sort of regular review processes that librarians or educators might go through, but something that makes something that was previously accessible, um, removed from availability to students or where access to that book may be restricted or diminished.
2: So tell us more about books that are being removed from schools, whether in Florida or, or elsewhere in the United States, what's in them and who wants them out of the schools?
6: So the trends are pretty universal. We are seeing that the majority of books either include main characters or themes that are LGBTQ focused or main characters who are people of color. Um, or maybe dealing with issues of race racism and I mean, american history and this is you know something that has uh, is a little bit different i think from some of the waves of book banning that we've seen in the past um, but the scale and the scale of this is just something that is completely unprecedented in in recent uh, memory certainly book bans mm-hmm. are something pen America has worked on for decades but we have not seen anything like this in a in a very long time and you know i think there are um you know parents who have, real concerns and and have you know the operators should have the opportunity to have those heard and to have conversations with educators in their in their student schools. But what we're seeing now is, is this move is being politicized. I think those parents' concerns are in some cases, you know, being um, exploited into something that's become more of a political movement. And, and these groups are indeed, you know, mobilizing people to push for restrictions on books um, based, you know, purely on, in often cases, just a list of book titles. Um, in some cases, we've seen lists of diverse books that have been recommended to educators uh, repurposed into lists of books that parents are encouraged to challenge.
2: Mm -hmm. We're talking about book bans in the Sunshine State. Love to hear your thoughts on this idea. You can join the conversation by calling 305-995-1800. Send us a tweet. We're at Florida Roundup. We're talking with Summer Lopez, Chief Program Officer of Free Expression at Penn America, That notion of the level of organisation and the, I guess, the speed at which some of these groups have spun up is interesting. Um, So just tell us more about what's happening there and that notion of parental rights too. I mean, the push to ban books, as you noted, is often framed as a parental rights issue. But how much input should should parents have over what books can be in schools and who gets to say which parents are being represented?
6: Right. I think, you know, I think some of this has its origins in you know the anxiety that I think virtually all parents have had about their students education during the pandemic. Um, this has been a, a very uh, challenging period for anybody with children in schools. And so you know, I think there's been more scrutiny as a result of that. Um, as well as more concern. And, you know, I think that every parent has the opportunity, of course, if there's material that they're concerned about for their particular child, you know, having an opportunity with a, a conversation with a teacher, that's pretty much always an option that's available to people to think about, you know, what what books their child has access to, what, what materials they may be reading in class. The problem is when we Encounter parents who want to make that decision for everybody else's children as well, and you know these are debates that can be had in a meaningful way at the school board, in the community, in the school context. Um, but what we're seeing in, in this point is, you know, sometimes people making these challenges to folks who don't even have children in schools at all, um, and so you know I think we are seeing. If we're going to talk about parents' rights, we have to talk about all parents' rights and, and the rights of children as well. Children have a right to access a variety of, of stories and perspectives in their schools and to have the opportunity to learn about the diversity of of our of our country and of, of society. Um, and so, you know, I think it's not to dismiss uh, all the concerns that parents might have, but to think about how we address those in ways that don't place undue restrictions on other ch- children and their families.
2: hmm. You're listening to the Florida Roundup. We're talking about book bans and I guess the, the Slater book bans that are active across the United States and in Florida. We're talking with Summer Lopez, Chief Program Officer, of Free Expression at Penn America. You can join the conversation as well. Give us a call. We are at 305-995-1800. Send us a tweet. We're at Florida Roundup. And you are listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Media.
1: Roger on the line in Camillus Park. Hi, Roger. Go
2: ahead.
4: Hello, thanks for taking the call. Um, in China, nobody can read anything in any source regarding the Tiananmen Square events of some years ago. And I think it's quite dangerous that the uh, political agendas have taken control of, uh, you know, what, what people may or may not read. I think my uh, growing up my librarians and teachers did a good enough job of that
1: thank you roger summer that is the subtext i think of your report over at Pan america that when societies start to ban books according to your research and your data that is the so-called canary in the coal mine for the future of free expression democracy more values that we hold dear in this country is that the moral message of your
6: report? I think that is essentially the message and and PEN America is an organization that works in the US and internationally we're part of a global network of pen centers of writers and readers around the world and we do know that this is a warning sign you know books have been banned by authoritarian regimes from Nazi Germany to apartheid South Africa to Putin's Russia and we do see this as as a red flag and a very concerning sign of, of where we're going. You know, we should have as a as a pluralistic democracy the opportunity to debate these ideas, to have conversations about them. And to do that, we have to be able to read about them and to have have that space for for intellectual inquiry and for conversation. Um, The solution is never to shut down those ideas or to silence the voices of people who, you know, in these cases for a long time were excluded from the bookshelves. You know, so many of the writers of the books that are being targeted say they wrote them specifically because they didn't see themselves in books when they were children. And so the important of having that opportunity for people to see themselves reflected in books but also for other people to gain understanding and empathy and and a sense of what it means to live in a vibrant and pluralistic democracy
1: Mm -hmm. now you you're also tracking other groups springing up to to call for the not allowing book bans uh, groups like the florida freedom to
6: read project how impactful are they so I think that you know we're seeing obviously Florida is home to Moms for Liberty and the Florida Citizens Alliance these are permanent advocates of of school book bans um the you know I think we Florida is a bit of a microcosm honestly of of what we're seeing around the country and you know, they are having an impact, um, you know, these, uh, and again, because I think there's a there's a, a, some real anxiety that parents do feel about education right now. And, you know, again, I think, but I think that the politicization of this debate um, has been very problematic. And Florida is also a place where we've seen, you know, this, uh, a lot of pressure come from political figures. We've also seen legislation introduced, um, you know, the both the HB7, the Stop Woke Act, the HB1557, what's been called the Don't Say Gay Bill, you know, these uh, forms of legislation that we've also seen around the country, we've called them educational gag orders um, that would place increased restrictions on what can be discussed in classrooms and and uh, both at the K through 12 and at the um, college level. All of this is kind of um, a package of of attacks on education that we're seeing across the country. But we have definitely seen Florida as, as kind of ground zero for a lot of this, too
1: in the very uh, short amount of time left uh, for people who are concerned about this, what do you recommend they do?
6: Well, certainly, you know, make your voices heard again. I think this is a, a, the majority of Americans oppose book bans and studies show that over and over again across political lines across all sorts of lines um so you know the voices of those who oppose this need to be heard as well in in school board meetings um write an op-ed in your local paper you know and and read books that are banned including not just not just those that are particularly famous but those that might be a little bit lesser known um, and we welcome well, people summer, to join us wanna, at, at pen.org as well
1: yeah check it out at pen.org summer lopez pen America. Thanks Thank for listening, so folks. The Florida Roundup comes to you from WJCT Public Media in Jax and WLRN down in Miami. Heather Schatz and Natu Tui, our producers, Catherine Hobbs, our associate producer.
2: WLRN's Director of Radio Operations and our Technical Director is Peter Mantz, Engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Isabella de Silva. Richard Ives answers the phones. Our theme music provided by Miami jazz guitarist Erin Libos at ErinLibos.com. I'm Matthew Petty.
1: And I'm Melissa Ross. Thanks for calling, listening, and tweeting. We'll be back next Friday at noon.
0: Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through ABCFWS.com.